Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disabilities, Growing Bold and Changing Attitudes. And our guest is Jodie Rogers, a sexologist, a counsellor and a special ed teacher. And she's also now a reality TV star after appearing on the amazing ABC show Love on the Spectrum in her capacity as a relationship expert. In this episode, we'll hear about the struggles that people with disabilities face when it comes to sexuality, education and stereotypes and how Jodie is trying to help break down these barriers. Jody, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Thanks for having me. So Jody, you've worked across uh, education, disability and sexuality for the past 25 years. Um, what do you think is the most common issue that you've seen within the disability sector? Oh, Tristan, that's a really broad question to start with for me. <laughs> I know, I've, um, I've gone for that difficult question to start with, my apologies. Yeah, you definitely have. I think, well, to start with, it's breaking down a lot of attitudes and values that come with people that surround um, people with a disability. So that could include families, carers, support staff, um, the wider community. I think there's been a long-held belief about people with a disability that either they're not sexual or asexual or on the other end of the spectrum is that they're, so there's a belief system that some people are oversexed. So, um, you know, it's really breaking down attitude and values. And more recently what I've found is needing to challenge people in terms of, um, you know, the Convention of Rights for People with a Disability and that we've ratified that people with a disability have a, a basic human right to be sexual people just along with the rest of us or to be in relationships and to receive really high quality sexuality education. Um, but though what people sometimes do is they may say that they believe in those rights but then the way their attitude or value or action is actually against those rights of people with a disability. So what sort of um, actions are you coming across um, mostly with these people? Um, well, I think we still live, I'm, I'm particularly talking about people with a disability that may require support from other services. I'm, I'm not talking about people that live an independent life and um, are able to self-advocate and make sort of decisions on their own. Often what you'll find is that people with a disability, their relationships or their contact with other people or their right for being able to be in a sexual relationship with somebody else or even to just explore their own sexuality, to tell you the truth, um, that may be hindered by policy and procedure, um, sometimes within services, just the way that things are set up mean that people may not be able to develop a relationship in a really natural manner with one another. Uh, that's probably a broader spectrum in terms of the way attitude and value come out. People still have a lot of attitudes about people with intellectual disability particularly mm. about whether if we give somebody with an intellectual disability an education about sexuality, whether that will make them vulnerable 
where, as we know, the complete opposite is actually true and has been true for a lifetime, that education actually supports people to have less vulnerability. Mm. So in the in the past, these people, I'm assuming it essentially just wasn't spoken about. Um, how did they deal with it? Where, where did they go to, to to learn about it? Or was it just a fait accompli that it wasn't discussed? Well, I mean, you, you were talking about me being sort of working with people with disability for 25 years, so there's never been a point in my life where I haven't worked with people with disability. And, you know, you don't know how you end up in your jobs, but I have a very, very uh, clear memory that I was – in it was 1992 and it was when I know that sounds terrible because then it tells you how old I am but in 1992 (laughs) I was working in a segregated special school and it was the year that they actually came out with the rights of people with a disability in 92 and one of those rights was the right for the education for for people with a disability to have the same education as everybody else prior to that in segregated um, settings so in special schools we didn't really follow a curriculum that was along with everybody else. And that curriculum came in in 92. And I remember very, very clearly the principal of the school saying, Jody, you're going to be doing health education and health education um, included sexuality education. And at that point, there was really very little, um, very little discussion about it. Um, A great deal of conversation about what should be included or not included uh, that everything was about protective behaviours at, at that point in time and, and I've seen it continue that it was only ever about protective behaviours to protect a person from a disability from being vulnerable to uh, to sexual assault. But it, did, it never explored a person's just basic right for pleasure or intimacy or being able to develop relationships. So you're right, at certain points it was never, ever, ever discussed in any shape or form, but the world has changed dramatically. Um, And I think now that it's seen as being something that's really integral for not just people with a disability but everybody in general to receive really high-quality, comprehensive sexuality education. So, Jodie, back in 1992 and leading up to that, what changed in the world what what how why did those attitudes change and give these disability people the rights that they deserved people with a disability changed it and so ah. <laughs> which is um people with a disability once those rights were given to them and then we've, we've been able to listen more to people with a disability anyone who's you know we on the autism spectrum that's high functioning or people with a physical disability people with an intellectual disability that have found a voice and have been able to express themselves and express their needs and their wants it's people with disability themselves that have changed the attitude and value and really really challenged services that it you know when I originally started in disability services they were really just charities they were charities that were set up to help the poor person with a disability and, and the world has completely shifted in that space and time and as people have advocated for themselves and services surrounding people have really listened to what those people require and want, um, you know, it has really shifted that people with a disability themselves are, are able to speak out for what their needs are and the rest of the community has, has to follow along with that. And um, and rightly so, 
You know, I suppose it's, you know, the old saying of nothing for us without us type of thing. And it used to be much more patriarchal that services would tell a people with a disability what they required. And that's really now turned completely on its head. And now it's people with a disability telling others what they require. Yeah, we're, we're a stubborn sense? lot sometimes, us people with disabilities. I can vouch for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I love, the, I love the, the notion of making the change themselves um, and ourselves. Um, what sort of um, barriers did society put up? Like I'm assuming that the message wasn't always heard loud and clear, that, that there were barriers that stopped it from, from the change taking place. Yeah, well, you know, Tristan, you'd be the same as me, that the the concept of disability is so vast and so when you're talking about people that might have a physical disability, it's very different than somebody that might have a severe or profound intellectual disability And, and I think the attitudes about sexuality have been quite different depending on the type of disability that people have. But in general, in my world, I've found that the biggest barriers have been that for some reason the concept of sexuality, not just for people with a disability, but the concept of sexuality or for people to be a sexual being has really been designated to the beautiful or what the media Mm. concept of beautiful is. And so I think what a lot of the barrier has been is that we had never seen or had role models of people with a disability within our our mainstream media to start with, and so that's shifted. But I think the other shift in it is that people at one point or time thought, well, if you can't walk, obviously you're not sexual, or if you can't, you know, tie your shoelaces without support, you're not sexual. It just... It seemed that sexuality was so far down on the list of what people thought it was to be. Um, I'm not I'm not human. I know that's the wrong word to use, but you know, I think what it was about was the people people prioritised other people prioritised a person with a disability's needs or wants, mm. and so they prioritised things as in uh, access or. Um, and I'm not saying access to sort of other areas, but but yeah, it was the, it was really the point of view of another person about sexuality was very very low on what they considered to be a person's with a disability's needs, mm. which mm. is completely ridiculous. Sorry, you'll get me no, on the you, high horse. Go for it. Go for it. Now's your chance. Jody, you did mention some of the main stereotypes that you came across, especially back in the day, was that there are the, um, people with disabilities are either asexual or oversexed. What are the mm. actual truths? Because I always, I must admit, growing up, and I'm almost, yeah, I'm not far off 50. I learned growing, well, I heard growing up that people with Down syndrome were oversexed and people with autism didn't even like to be touched. But what are the actual truths? The truth is that sexuality is incredibly diverse for the whole population. For every every single person on the planet, the way they express themselves, what their desires, what their fantasy, what their, their needs for sensuality, what their intimacy, what their every single person is different. So why would we categorise people with a disability 
in any other different fashion. That it, it astounds me that because we talk about disability, then we almost say, well, this category of people must be like this or this category of people must be like that. Um, and, and it's learning. You know, I think we, we had a lot of myths that need to be busted. People with Down syndrome were considered as children to be really, really cute and lovable and lots of hugs were given. But when a person with Down syndrome might have become 13 or 14-year-old boy, that hugging became something that was sexualised. Um, they may have never, ever been taught that who do we hug or how do we hug or, and hugging's not sexual, you know, hugging's about connection. Or there was a, a, a deep-held belief that people with autism spectrum disorder didn't like being touched or they didn't like um, intimacy or there was no desire or that they were asexual. You know, the population of people with autism is just as diverse in their sexuality as autism is diverse. So, you know, I think that we categorise people very, very quickly. Um, We do it about everybody's sexuality. Mm, Absolutely. And in terms of busting those myths, um, uh, uh, mainstream coverage is so, so important. Do shows like Love on the Spectrum help that? They break down those stereotypes? Um, Look, Love on the Spectrum was really, really fantastic to be a a part of and a lot of that was really about relationship it wasn't it wasn't talking about people's sexuality so much or sexual needs but it did it it did touch on components of that and I, I think that as a mainstream community that we do have ideas or perceptions and the only way that they can be broken down is by people with a with a disability or in that particular case um autistic people speaking for themselves and telling everybody what it's like. Um, you know, it's a really hard one because you, you also don't want disability to be so distinct that there's continual, um, you know, people with a disability or this type of disability need to speak out to a mainstream, but it's actually the only way that we can teach people that have never had contact with somebody with autism mm. or people that have never had contact with somebody who's uh, hearing impaired or deaf, you know, we need to teach. We need to change and bust people's ideas about what it is to have a disability. So it's, it's a great starting point and I suppose the end goal is wouldn't it be great to see a power chair user on The Bachelor or something, you know, taking it to that next level? Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, I, that's probably what I was getting back to before. Even within mainstream media, we have a concept continually about the type, the body type of somebody or what somebody needs to look like to be um, a, a sexual kind of being or, or somebody who's attractive. And I think that we need to break that completely open, that that's not the majority of us. That's not the majority of people who are... Um, who have a disability or don't have a disability, the majority of us don't fit what we're being told is sexually attractive. I just think that, it, that it's setting a lot of us up <laughs> for feeling <laughs> like we're failing. <laughs> is, the, is there a fear in these shows like Love on the Spectrum or even as Tristan was saying, getting someone, a wheelchair user onto one of these Bachelor shows, 
Is there an issue in this politically correct world that it becomes inspiration porn, if you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and I think that that's the difficulty and everybody has their own perspective and point of view. And all I can say is that I I always listen to the person that I am with. So in the same regard, you know, I work with people who are on the autism spectrum and so they come to... Um, a counselling situation with their own perspective and point of view, just like everybody does. And so for some people, they are saying, well, isn't this just inspo porn or it's ableism and to create a show just about people with a disability um, may not be the the right thing or the, the correct way of going about it in their perspective and point of view. So for other people, however, it's the only way that we can get the message to the vast majority of the community that have never had contact with somebody with autism. So I still believe somebody with autism may not even give them eye contact. So I, mm. I, I think we've got to follow the lead of the person that we're with. The same as every single person I hang out with every day, um, I treat it the same as I would work with somebody who selects their own pronouns if they're transgendered or um, then, you know, they have a, d- a gender fluidity. I, I don't choose what pronouns they use. They tell me what pronouns they would like to use. And I think it's the same within the perspective of any person with a disability. You need to think, of, you need to talk with that person from their perspective and point of view. So if somebody with a disability chooses to call themselves a disabled person, so do you. If they call themselves a person with a disability, so do you. If they um, have a perspective that what is being shown through the mainstream media is very ableist, then I think we have to hear that and we have to listen to that, just the same as we have to sort of challenge the belief system of the mainstream about their perspective of people with a disability. Um, I don't think that answered any of your question. But <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It did. It definitely did. It definitely did. <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it's very diverse. It's so diverse and, and I think it's the same. Like if we said to if – I, if, I, if every person I did counselling with on a daily basis, I came from my perspective and point of view – then how am I really supporting somebody? You you have to listen to other people. You have to really take on board what their needs and wants are and what their perspective and opinion is and not what mine is. So, Jody, what else needs to be done? I mean, Love in the Spectrum was a fantastic, incredible show and it really opened my eyes up to people and their families especially living with autism and their patients and you know, every and every single person in that show is completely different. But what else needs to be done to change attitudes, not just towards autism, but just everyone in the disability sector? Uh, are you talking specifically about sexuality in terms of that area? Well, yeah, while we're on the topic, but it's more about the change of the attitudes towards people. Do we need to see, as Tristram suggested, maybe people who use wheelchairs on these um, shows like The Bachelor and stuff, more inclusiveness within not just their own show, which you kind of touched on, or do we need to see them more in Parliament? Do we need to see more of their sports on television? How do we change people's attitudes? Every single way you just mentioned. <laughs> every <laughs> single every single way. And I think that if we're talking about any um, group of people who are a minority, it's pe- – 
we, we talk about that across the board with all minority groups. You know, we need to see people of, of diverse race. We need to see people of diverse religion. We need to see people with a whole range of different disabilities. We need to, we, we need diversity within our community. So, and people with different um, sexual orientations and gender, we need all of that to be within all realms of our society so that we're not, the minorities actually cease to exist and we just see it as people. Um, Mm. You know, and I think that's the same for people with a disability. I think we've got a long way to go for for that to happen. You know, I, I hope within my lifetime I um, see that happen but it's a it's slowly I think the, the barriers are slowly breaking down it's taking a long time but but I think it's as I said I'm really hopeful and the, the greatest hope I have and the greatest belief I have is that it's people with a disability that just if for speaking for themselves and other people listening and if we can actually just listen um to what the people with a disability are asking from us as a community, then then that's probably the answer. You're going to nominate me for a bachelor, Pete. That's the answer. Oh, I thought you were going to say for prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> now, Trish, you want, do you want to hit Jody with the last one? Yeah, certainly, Charles. So, um, Jody, we like to wrap up each episode with the question: What does living a bold life mean to you? Geez, you could have asked me that at the beginning, you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's being brave enough to have a voice. And I think in terms of my life as, you know, my life as Jody, my 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 bold life is to call people out and my, my bold life is to be brave enough that when somebody makes a comment that's derogatory about somebody with a disability or a comment that is homophobic or racist or sexist or it's it's being brave enough to actually call them on that and to challenge people's belief systems mm. yeah i think the for me being bold is being brave enough to speak up beautiful beautiful Fantastic. Well, Jody, thanks so much for joining us today on Grow Bowl with Disability, brought to you by Ferros Care. And our listeners can find out more about Jody's work on her fantastic website, birdsandbees.com.au. And there's also other information in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Jody Rogers, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Jody. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.